to C3 Church Hepburn Heights. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoy this message today. So I'll be reading two passages this morning. The first one is 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. The second passage is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 24b to 26. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the less honourable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Can we give Kezia a hand, please? One of our incredible interns this year. Welcome to week six of Built Up, a series that Pastor Jace has said there is no end time to. We do not know when it's going to end. But this is a series based on the Apostle Paul's First recorded letter to the church in Corinth with a particular focus on 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through to 14. And you can check out the previous sermons for this series on our podcast or YouTube channels. Now, we get a sense from these scriptures that Kezia just read that Paul's heart, his desire for the church in Corinth was that there would be no divisions, that the church would be united, the church would be built up together. No divisions. His heart would be that there would be no separation that caused the split, no disagreement that led to a disconnect, no breakdown that caused a breakup, no divisions. Now, I love music and so does Derek. Derek is a is a a music aficionado, and if you want to have a conversation about some of the various concerts that Derek has has been to, he's he's been to some incredible bands. Anyway, I, I love music, I love listening to all sorts of genres, but I'm devastated whenever I hear about a, a band that I really love, that some somewhere along the line they've they've split up, they've broken up. And so I'm devastated because I'm thinking, think about the, the classics, the memorable songs that have been left unwritten and unplayed that we could have experienced. Think, think the Beatles, think Queen, think the police and Oasis and Pink Floyd, One Direction guys. <laughs> think about the bangers that we've missed out on there. It's, it's devastating, right, when a band splits up. I also love sport. I love and hate, hate it when the AFL season starts. Why do I put myself through it? But I recently read about one of the biggest breakups, b- biggest divisions in sporting history centred in the NBA and around the storied franchise of the LA Lakers. Now, the most dominant centre of the late 90s, a guy called Shaquille O'Neal. He'd just been traded from the Orlando Magic to the Lakers. And then the Lakers go out and they draft a shooting guard called Kobe Bryant. 
Now, these were two generational talents. They're household names to this day. And they go on this tear. They absolutely dominate the league. They win three consecutive titles. And the opportunity to join the Boston Celtics as the only team to, more, to win more than three consecutive titles, it's on the cards. It's there for the taking. But something was never quite right within the relationship between Shaq and Kobe. And everything fell apart. I'm just going to read from a sports website to give, you, to give us some insight. Phil Jackson, the Lakers coach, got what he needed out of Kobe and Shaq for a while. He got them to play the Batman and Robin role that Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen played so well together in Chicago. On the surface, it seemed to work fine, but there were cracks in the foundation from the beginning. O'Neal wanted the offense to be run through him. Bryant wanted the offense to be run through him. The truth is that it worked best with Shaq as the main target, but that proved to not matter at all as this private feud grew public and the Lakers were forced to choose. You see, Shaq and Kobe, they were so focused on building their own individual brand, they were so busy jockeying for the top dog mantle that any pursuit of genuine team unity disintegrated leading to this very public split. And the Lakers eventually chose age over size. They stuck with Kobe. Shaq was shipped off to Miami. And the rest, they say, is history. What could have been if not for division amongst the team? Now, division, they ha- it happens in, in music we've just talked about. It happens in sport. It happens in every sphere, every aspect of community. I'm just so thankful that it never happens in church, right? unfortunately that's not the case and this is the main reason why Paul's letter to the church in Corinth why he's writing it why he's at least twice expressing his desire that there would be no divisions in the church that they would be united in all they do it's because there were there were divisions in the church the church was beginning to implode Paul had been told about these divisions and he was desperately trying to address them before it was too late. And what were the nature of these divisions in the church in Corinth? Well, some centred around status and the unequal treatment of others at the Lord's table around communion. Some of these divisions were based on wealth or intellect or pedigree. There were also divisions about which teacher to follow. Should I follow Paul? Should I follow Apollos? Even Cephas? So we hear that that the Apostle Peter actually even visited Corinth. Now, because oratory, public speaking, was the key mark of honour and manliness in society. That's cool. Back then, (laughs) you know, it was even... They had the, the Olympic equivalent of games. It's called, it was called the Isthmian Games. And public speaking was an event in the games. That's how, that's how much prestige was put in public speaking. And so there was so much honour attached to it that when Paul initially came to the, the church in Corinth, he, he refused to buy into that pressure. He didn't want to boast in himself. Rather, he preferred to boast in Christ and Christ crucified. So he appeared less than eloquent. He actually tried not to be a good speaker in this moment. And that didn't go well with the elite in the church, with the elite in the community. And then when a gifted speaker 
named Apollos from the intellectual capital of the known world, Alexandra comes along, people naturally elevated him, connected to him above their own spiritual father, Paul. And so we have these divisions that are taking place. And so when we look at those divisions that took place in the church back in Corinth, we go, oh, that's cool. Those divisions were so, so petty. That's never going to happen in our church today. Wrong. Just as there were divisions then, there's divisions now. There's a constant challenge. And whilst wealth or intellect or which teacher to follow are not generally the main reasons for division today, there are others. Generational divisions, political, theological divisions, denominational divisions. But you know what? A great deal of these divisions that take place in the church today come down to a difference of opinions and a difference of preferences. Now, why do divisions take place? Why did they take place back then? And why do they take place now? Well, Paul gives us some clarity in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 to 4. I gave you milk to drink. I love Paul because I love milk. Not solid food. Okay, I've got an issue now. Since you were not ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready. Oh, that is a burn. Because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? Wow. Division was in the church back then because the culture and the spirit of the world had impacted and defined the culture and the values of the body of Christ. And as a result, they're acting not like the redeemed and transformed people of God. They're behaving like mere humans, worldly. Ben Witherington III gives us some insight here. Some Corinthians no doubt saw themselves in a very individualistic light, as sufficient to themselves, especially in spiritual matters. Paul is disputing such notions. God has deliberately made the members of Christ's body interdependent so all would have the same concern for one another. It's the same for us today. This pull of individualism that lies to us to say, we can be a self-made person. We, we can't trust anybody else and we could do it all by ourselves. They're lies. They're lies. Because this spirit of individualism then buys into a redefining of sin as you do you, a relativizing of truth and morals. There's no absolutes. There's no foundation for us to stand on. A moving of the goalposts around value and identity that leads to so much confusion and heartache. And then we just worship things other than God. We have idols that we bow to and we worship every day. Idols of comfort, idols of success, idols of family. Idols of finances, idols of happiness, and these all contrib contribute to the division back then and they contribute to the division today. And what, what's the ingredients of the division within the heart of division is judgment 
is envy and strife. It's comparison. It's criticism. It's fear. It's bitterness. It's gossip. It's minimizing our brokenness and elevating someone else's brokenness. The, the list can go on. Division never glorifies God or builds others up. It does the opposite. And we've got to ask ourselves, is there a better way? Is there a better way? Should the church look different? Should the church be different? Should you and I be different to what we see out in the world today? And I feel the heart of God calling out to His people saying, come, repent, come, lay down the, the, the worship of other things. Receive my forgiveness, says the Lord. Receive grace and mercy, says the Lord. And then be transformed. Be transformed by the presence and the power of God so that we think, we act, we look different. We're set apart, holy, pure. Be the church. So God, right now, We present ourselves before you. Individually and as a church, God, and we're saying we're sorry. We repent where we have allowed the spirit of this world to lead us and guide us, where we've kept in step with the spirit of this world instead of the Holy Spirit. We repent. We make a decision to turn today. We receive your forgiveness we receive your love and your grace and your mercy and we receive afresh your strength to live as the people of God, the church who you've called us to be. Amen. Amen. So is there a better way? Can the church look different? Paul's saying yes. Paul's heart for the church in Corinth is saying, yes, it can, it should, it will look different. And J. Brian Tucker writes that Paul's rhetorical vision is that the Corinthian Christ followers are to be an alternative community with an ethos distinct from that of the Roman culture in Corinth. And Paul paints this broad brush picture for us. I know we talk a lot about the body because of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but just go, go with me to another analogy just for a moment. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, For we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. You and I are not mere humans. We're not mere humans. We don't belong to this world. We're born again. We're born of the Spirit. We belong to God. We're His possessions. We're His field. We're His building, His dwelling place where He resides, where His Spirit indwells, where His body, where His image bearers made brand new in Christ by the Holy Spirit. Peter also writes of, of this in First Peter 2.5, You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are a building. And just like, just like a body, a building is made up of a variety of parts. And it's really important to note that 
The church being made up of a variety of parts, of different parts, with a variety of gifts and functions. This wasn't a reason for division given by Paul in 1 Corinthians. He wasn't saying, look, if, if only everybody looked the same, then we'd all be able to get on. That's not what he's saying. It's the opposite. He's saying that the different parts of the body, of the building with a variety of gifts, with that building being built, that's the reason for unity, not for division. That's an opportunity to unify. Why? Because we need each other. We need each other. If we all look the same, all had the same gifts, we wouldn't need each other. But it's the very reason, the purpose that God has put you and I together in the same church body, different, so that we can be unified because we need each other. And if we need each other, there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way than, than focusing on our divisions. And so what, is the, what are the ingredients? What's the substance of this better way, a way towards building up, a way towards unity? Well, in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, Paul writes that it's a better way. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, Paul writes that it never ends. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul writes that it's the greatest of these. In 1 Corinthians 14, 1, Paul writes that it's to be our pursuit. What's he talking about? He's talking about love. And Pastor M, a few weeks back, talked about this type of love known as agape. It's an others-focused sacrificial love. It's like a love the world has never seen before. It's a love that is willing to suffer. John Tyson to love well is to suffer, to suffer without recognition and often without response. It's the way of the cross, but the way of life. And I want to add, it's the way of Jesus. It's His way. It's His way of God's love being shown emphatically, received and then enabled to transform us into a new identity. J. Brian Tucker again, the in Christ identity has only come into existence as a result of God's act of love. The gospel itself and God's love that has been poured out through the Spirit. So love has become a defining characteristic of this new alternative community, which should then reflect a different ethos that contrasts with the broader civic community. God's love is a defining characteristic in you, in I, in the church. A love that has and will continue to shape and change the world. A love that has a miraculous redemptive power that billions of people across human history have experienced first time. A love that you and I are to pursue. How? How do we do this? James, why don't you come up and tinkle on the old ivories? Nijay Gupta, in his book, 15 New Testament Words of Life, and I thoroughly recommend this book. He writes this, All Christian love is responsive love, reacting to and imitating divine love for us. God's love is our source of agape love. 
His love is big enough for us all. His love doesn't run out. His love isn't dependent upon whether you're performing or not. And it is when we are most aware of our brokenness, most aware that we don't have it all together, that we can't earn His love. This is the place where it's most vital that we are positioning ourselves for God's love to come. And it's in this place where God's love is most transformative. How many times have we let God down? Only for His love to remain. God's love is patient towards us. How many times have we spoken harshly about or to someone? God's love is kind to us. How many times have we taken our eyes off the blessing in our lives and wished our lives were like someone else? God's love doesn't wish it was received by someone more worthy or more appreciative. You're enough. God's love doesn't envy. How many times have we accidentally big-noted ourselves publicly on social media at the expense of someone else? God's love doesn't boast. It isn't arrogant. It's not rude or self-seeking. And His love comes in those moments to humble us, to help us take our eyes off ourselves and point our eyes to the other. And you and I position for God's love to be received by us so that our, our identity would be shaped around being a beloved son or daughter of God. It also means to transform us. His love means to transform you and I into Christ-likeness, holy, pure, set apart. His love is working for us. His love is working in us. His love isn't opposing us like a hurdle that we have to jump over. His love's working with us, working for us. And God's love is to develop a a servant-hearted, others-focused way of life in which it flows through us and is given to others. Now that makes embodying the kind of love from God a whole lot more demanding a whole lot more work, more sacrifice, more surrender than what we had originally thought, right? It's this all-bearing, all-believing, all-hoping, all-enduring kind of love. And on one hand, this renders us hopeless, helpless. I'm way out of my depth. Within myself, I simply don't have what it takes to manufacture that kind of love. But on the other hand, It leads us to God, who is perfect love in Himself. And it's there that we discover this unending supply of His love for ourselves and for others. And so we position ourselves for God's love. How? Through the second circle of the purpose circles. Whoa! It's not rocket science. We position our body physically in discipleship community. On Sundays, thank you for being here today. Wednesday night gather, thank you, Derek, for shifting things up, for making sacrifice so that you can physically be here on a Wednesday night. 
as we intentionally gather in smaller groups where mentoring and accountability and encouragement can take place. And if you need help with that, come and speak to us. Let us help you get connected in discipleship community. We position our mind in the Bible. We position our mind in the Word of God. So it is filled with God's truth for us so that the lies of the world, the lies of the enemy are diluted. And that what He says about us, what He believes about us, what He has called us to can feel and renew and transform our mind. And we position our spirit in prayer and worship. So it's refreshed and empowered and filled with faith. And we have a number of personal devotions on the Purpose Circle website. If you click on prayer, there's a bundle. If you don't know where to get started, jump on. As we pray with our spouse and our kids and our friends, as we come and gather at Wednesday night gathering, we pray together. We are positioning our spirit to receive His love, to receive faith, to be buoyed so that we can go out and be a buoyant impact on those around us. And so we position for God's love. And then we pursue love as we practice love through our gifts. And as God fills us with His love. In the context of 1 Corinthians, we then pursue loving others by acknowledging the unique part of the, that, that they play in the body. And we use our gifts to flourish their ability to make the body more beautiful for the glory of God. It's His bride. He loves His body. He loves the church. And what an opportunity, what a privilege that you and I have to help be a part of making His body more beautiful by using our gifts. Pursuing love is making someone else feel large instead of small. Someone else shine and not fade. Someone else excel and not diminish. But this type of love, it's hard to do. Again, it's hard. It's a battle. It's because we individualistic, selfish, we, we struggle with this. And even though it comes from God, you and I, we, we have to learn how to operate in that, how to embody that love, how to go from drinking milk to, milk to eating solid foods. And so it's in the practicing through our gifts that that love continues to embody us. And what does it look like? Again, Nijay Gupta writes, now it's not the case that we will have everyday experiences that require us to die for one another. More realistically, Christian sacrificial love will come in many small acts of generosity and kindness. Every act of love matters. And there would be a lie that we would hear. That act of love isn't important. What you have to offer, someone else doesn't need. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. They're lies. And I'm here as a result of 24 years of small acts of love from you, from people that have gone years before, acts of faith, of prophetic prayer, of encouragement, of discernment, 
of hospitality, of teaching, of generosity. I acknowledge that they come from God, but they've flown through you to me. And as more and more parts of the body, as more and more of you and I, we we get a hold of this. There's this cyclical building up and being built up that can take place. Now, this story is going to kind of crack the mood. (laughs) But Karen and I both have a loofah in our shower. We're not the heat, you know, like the heathens that, that share a loofah. God forbid. We both have a loofah. So we've got a loofah each, right? But there's only one hook. That's trouble. And when you're not a handyman like me, and you don't know, oh, I, maybe I could have just put another hook up. I mean, that's, that sounds really logical as I'm saying it. <laughs> but then I wouldn't be able to share this analogy, would I? So, God's got it. <laughs> anyway, one hook, two loofers. And after, I, I don't know when it started, but after I'd finished one time washing myself, I, I, instead of putting my loofer just back on the front of the hook, I pulled Karen's loofer out and put my loofer at the back and her loofer at the front so that she'd have easier access when she went to have a shower. Karen acknowledged this. She thanked me for it. And guess what happened? When Karen used her loofah, she started doing the same. And so there's this love loofah loop that's taking place. But, but you know, it, it's, it sounds really silly. But you know what this habit has done? Because it's a habit. I had to learn how to do it. Is that when I'm not feeling, feeling the love towards Karen, when I'm a little bit ticked off by my beautiful wife of 21 years, or I'm a bit into myself, practicing this habit, this loofah love loop, it takes my mind off myself puts my mind onto my wife. How can I better serve and love her? And what a place the church can be. This church community can be when we were trying to outdo one another in how we love each other, not as a way to boast in ourselves, but as a way to boast in God and build each other up. And so how can we use our gift to practice love this week? Well, it, can be an, it could be an encouraging word or Or maybe on the flip side, it could be choosing not to say that sarcastic word. Instead of blaming or shaming our kids when they've done something wrong, we could use it as a training moment to help them next time. Something I'm learning. (laughs) Someone in our church community who's ticking us off, maybe we could pray for them. Or when a friend is unloading about how, how tough life is at the moment, we listen, but then we go, hey, can we, can we pray right now? And we pray with the gift of faith that God has given us. Maybe we could invite someone over for lunch after church and use that gift of hospitality. Maybe we could ask Holy Spirit to put someone on our heart who's struggling financially and then practically bless them. Maybe we could meet someone we've never met in church and have a chat and then invite them along to Wednesday night gather. 
There's so many more examples, and look, they're small, insignificant to us, but they could be life-changing to someone else. And so let's practice love through our gifts this week. Let's pray. Oh, help us, God. Help us. Help us, God. Would that rampant individualism, would that selfishness, Lord God, would it, would it leave this church today? In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us here on our podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more about our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, go to c3hh.com.au.